Welcome to the Springs in the Desert podcast. We're so happy that you're here with us. We're those friends that you can take with you wherever you are on the path of infertility. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Springs in the Desert podcast. We're so happy to be here with you, to walk with you wherever you are on the path of infertility. And I'm Allie, your host today, and I'm joined by our Springs in the Desert co-founder, Kimberly Hinkle. Hi, Kimberly. Hello. So happy to be here. (laughs) We are so excited because we have a special guest today who um, we've been just anticipating this conversation, I think, for, for several months. And this is going to air during National um, NFP Awareness Week, Natural Family Planning Awareness Week in July. So it's, it's timely to have this conversation. So Christina Valenzuela, I hope I said that right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> She's the founder of Pearl and Thistle, which is an, uh, provides an innovative approach to lifelong body literacy for Catholics. Um, and we first met Christina during the 2021 OSV Innovation Challenge, where both of our organizations were placed as finalists. Um, praise God. And since then, we have just been really excited about um, finding ways to collaborate together, our two ministries, because we mm-hmm. see a lot of overlap. And so we've just been really looking forward to the, this conversation and hopefully more in the future. So, Christina, welcome to the podcast. And yeah, just please tell us a little bit about yourself and more about Pearl and Thistle, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you so much, Allie, and thanks, Kimberly, for having me. Yeah, Pearl and Thistle, I I originally joined the OSV Innovation Challenge last year um, with kind of the the beginning of my educational model, which is cycle prep. So the idea is learning how to understand the cycle for pre-monarchial girls, right? Introducing them to cycles and periods from the very beginning so that they're comfortable with the idea of really understanding how their body works, which is something that a lot of us just don't get when we're growing up. I've been an NFP instructor since 2013. And I think hearing that refrain from women about like, why didn't I learn this sooner? This would have been so important to help me navigate cycles in the teenage years. Um, and then just the struggles, I think, with learning about body literacy later in life, um, when there's more pressure, when there could be more complications, more transition, more uncertainty, So anyway, so OSV was really about kickstarting a lifelong body literacy education model with cycle prep. And then I have programs that kind of build from there, programs for teens, for single women, for couples, and then ongoing parish support. That's awesome. And I know from our initial discussions kind of as a team about this conversation that we, a lot of us, uh, strongly like that what you said about wishing we had this sooner, like we mm-hmm. strongly resonate with us because I think especially for women who struggle with infertility, there's this like, oh, I w- oftentimes, you know, we wish that we would have had doctors sooner who maybe like um, acknowledge that our periods weren't regular or that there were, um, you know, endometriosis issues that weren't diagnosed until later. So that mm-hmm. whole thought of like, I wish this had been around sooner and I hadn't been dismissed is something that I think speaks to a lot of people, (laughs) wouldn't you say, Kimberly? Oh, absolutely. I think that um, so many of us are not really taught much as children and or as, you know, when we're entering that time when we begin having cycles. Um, I mean, my sweet mother just kind of handed me a book. (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) And I was like, what? What's going on? So um, just to have, you know, just a better understanding of things. And, and Christina, you talk about like knowing what's going on inside because, you know, it's not just about getting our 
periods each month. It's like all the different things that are happening inside of our bodies. But could you mention a little bit more about this term body literacy? Oh, I love this term. This is actually a term that is is used in secular kind of fertility awareness circles, body literacy. And I was doing a little bit of digging, like, where did this term come from? And it's been around for almost 20 years at this point. But it really was a woman who was trying to get women to to learn to read like what she called the language of their body. And I heard this and I thought, oh my gosh, like all of my theology of the body bells start ringing in my head going exactly the language of the body, right? Our body speaks a language. The thing about being a Catholic is that we understand from JP2's perspective that we're not the author of that language and that that language actually gives us insight into God into ourselves as creatures, can be applied to relationships with God and with other people. Um, and so I really latched on to that term. I love that term because it's an invitation for women and girls to learn to read this language that their body speaks for itself, um, not towards any particular application, not particularly towards family planning, not particularly towards health, but just because our body speaks and we can learn to listen. And so I love that term. That's the term that I like to use. Oh, I love that. I love that emphasis on learning to listen even before we get into these kind of like applications, if you will. Um, Another thing I was thinking about that I just wanted to open up with is as we were preparing for this, one of our team members said something I thought was kind of profound. She said that when it comes to understanding um, and appreciating our bodies, it's kind of like there's two camps. It's like there's the camp of, oh my gosh, our periods, our cycles, they're the curse. Like they're just something that we have to endure and like get through it, you know, and it's ugly and all these things. But then in the other side, we can become like very, very like rah, rah about our cycles. And like we can almost start to kind of like idolize like um, our fertility or that it's like, oh, this is in our control and it's, you know, it's beautiful. And if there's any mistakes, then that means, you know, we're broken. So like what would you say about those two camps and kind of like how do how should we fit into those maybe like as a church and as we try to, um, like you said, listen to our bodies? Oh gosh, that's a big one because um, I'm I'm a very middle of the road person when it comes to to either of these things. I spend like my entire day talking about cycles and the goodness of our bodies, but at the same time, like I am very acutely aware of the fact that cycles and periods are a real experience of of pain and suffering for women. Sometimes, like I, as a teenager, had cramps so debilitating that I would be throwing up and passing out. And um, I never thought that I would be somebody who actually was able to find goodness in my cycle. That's not something I ever saw for myself. And so I think I have kind of one foot in both camps. I think there's a way, because we're Catholics, because we're Christians, and we understand that we live in a fallen world, I think we kind of have to have one foot in, in both places. We have to be able to say, No, our bodies are fundamentally made good. Like God created this and it is inherently good and beautiful. But at the same time, there's a real brokenness and there's a real suffering that we have to take into account that is part of our everyday experience. And if we cannot justify that paradox, if we cannot stare that paradox in the face, then I think we're missing the opportunity that God has put in front of us. Yeah. <laughs> Kimberly looked like you want to say something. No, I just thought that that is so balanced. And I really think that is exactly right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, because we can, 
idealize and romanticize the whole theology of the body. And, you know, my body is meant to be a gift and this and that. But in, in the end, if you're not taking into account the, the reality of suffering, um, then you are basically cutting off most of the world, most women's experiences of their own bodies. And, and, and you're not taking, you know, where do, where does that leave those of us who are struggling with infertility? Yeah, exactly. And, um, I love that. It's like the both and, right. It's like (laughs) God created it, created us beautifully and in his image. And then yes, like the fall happened and, um, and it's not necessarily like our fault, right. This is the sin of the world that perhaps, you know, we're, um, our particular struggle is a manifestation of that, not necessarily because of something we did. Um, but you know, it's, it's that paradox. I like that you use that word. Um, and I think especially like dealing with infertility, I know we kind of thought about some different situations that come up, like, you know, there could be a woman who's, um, just really, you know, struggling with and, and grappling with that quote unquote brokenness because she knows she's made in the image of God. And yet like she's going to perhaps a napro doctor who's, um, you know, trying to heal her body. So she's, she's like confronted with that reality that, um, you know, I know my body is good and I'm a daughter of God and I'm made in his image. And yet like I'm seeking healing for the brokenness that I know is there because of not only infertility, but also like those, you know, really difficult and painful cycles and other issues that, that may come up. So, um, yeah, I guess just to encourage her, yeah, like maybe that paradox is a good, a good place to start with, with, um, kind of encouraging her in, in, in walking through those, that both and situation. Does that make sense? Um, go ahead. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And, uh, you know, as somebody who has been a natural family planning instructor for, I guess, almost 10 years now, you know, I see that struggle firsthand. You know, you see the women, the couples who want to come and say like, I'm so excited to use natural family planning. This is, I know that this is a good, beautiful thing. I also know that it's going to be kind of hard, but um, you see that sort of transformation and they start charting and things may not be as regular as they thought, or they may get sick and something goes haywire with the chart. And you can just kind of see how, especially the woman internalizes that. Like we really internalize if something is wrong with the data, if something is wrong with the chart, with the cycle presentation, like it's somehow our fault. And as an NFP instructor, as a coach, this is something that I actually coach couples through is navigating this like sense of guilt on the part of the woman, because we cannot control our bodies. (laughs) We cannot control our cycles. And yet we still feel like there's this aspect. It's so, it's so near and dear to our hearts, this concept of fertility and, and, and motherhood and whether biological or spiritual, right? Motherhood is so integral to how we understand ourselves as creatures. And so what I love being able to do, and I think the reason that we wanted to talk today is because my work is really trying to dig deep and say, okay, well, what are the foundational elements to just understanding how our bodies are made even before motherhood is actualized, right? What is the goodness there that's like the, the place of original solitude, to put it in JP2's terms? What is, what's the foundation and how do we build from there? Um, I don't think there was a particular question in there or a train of thought, but I, I was linking those two things that like, 
um, that we do feel guilty and we do feel a sense of responsibility sometimes. And I think it's because it's just such an intimate aspect of who we understand ourselves to be, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes me think of Genesis. I think about this a lot. You know, what God told Eve is in pain, you will bring forth children. And like, I I have come to think about that, not in terms of like actual childbirth, but also like, you know, (laughs) painful periods, infertility, like all of the things that um, are part, like you said, it's something that's so near and dear to us. And yet it does come with a lot of um, grief at times or just things that are out of our control, right? It's That's one thing that I think we all can say is like, this is ultimately not in our control. It's in God's hands. But um, I want to ask you about that original solitude. Could you talk a little bit more about that? What do you mean by that? Oh, yeah. So, I, Sorry, I sometimes go a little like official TOB speak. So in Theology of the Body, JP2 sets up um, original unity, that original unity between Adam and Eve and what that means for how we understand marriage and the spousal meaning of the body and all of these really complicated ideas. But the thing is, original unity is actually preceded by solitude, that Adam is alone in the garden. In the second creation account in Genesis, right? In the first creation account, man and woman are made in the image and likeness of God and they appear together. But in the second creation account, Adam, Adam, mankind comes first. And he's in the garden and God tasks him with naming the animals, right? And so Adam is like trying to find a helper. He's trying to find a companion and he goes and he begins to understand the animals. And that's how he can name them. But in so doing, he realizes like, I am so different from all these other creatures. He actually has this experience where he realizes he's alone and he is a unique creature in front of God. And that actually opens up for him what I like to call a holy ache. Um, Maybe not a profound suffering in the sense that we think of it right now, but just this experience of like, I would like to share this, right? I, I intuit that I am a creature made for communion and I would like to have communion with another creature to share this experience with God. So original solitude is that foundational realization on Adam's part that he's different and that he's unique And that's what paves the way for him to actually be able to appreciate Eve in original unity, right? He needs to have this experience of original solitude first so that when she is brought forth, he can say like, at last, right? Like, this is what I've been yearning for. And so for cycles, I I kind of see our menstrual cycles and the design of our bodies as an opportunity for women to take a step back and say like, how, how is this solitude? because we're different from men, right? How is this an experience of us before God, just as individuals? And how can we use this to help us better understand these concepts of motherhood, either biological or spiritual? Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a a beautiful thing to contemplate. Um, And in the experience of infertility, I think it could uh, yield some fruit definitely to consider that, um, that solitude before God and what that means, um, to kind of shift a little bit, um, as we were preparing for this, I think another thing that came up was, um, where, where we see in the scripture, we've been talking a little bit about scriptures already more so like Genesis and, and, um, the garden, but shifting forward to the new Testament and thinking about where Christ speaks to this particular, struggle most strongly to a lot of us is in Mark chapter five, where he's talking about the woman 
with the hemorrhage. And um, I think a lot of us who follow this ministry are, are probably pretty familiar with that parable because he actually um, heals a woman who has a hemorrhage for 12 years, um, a flow of blood. I think it's described specifically in the gospel. Um, and so I don't know if this is official church doctrine, but we can understand that as some sort of, you know, menstrual female issue um, that was, you know, just again, from our own experience, we can imagine that was a terrible thing to have gone through for 12 years that she hadn't stopped bleeding in that time. And it even says that she, you know, um, spent all of her money at the hands of many doctors who made her condition worse. And so, again, <laughs> I think when we consider some of what we've been talking about with, um, you know, doctors and, and wishing we had um, a better diagnosis perhaps earlier in life, we can we can relate to that, right? It's like, yeah, sometimes they don't really give us, uh, especially, you know, non-NAPRO uh, NFP doctors can give us like prescriptions for birth control and, and that'll fix it or whatever. But we know that's not really healing us in the way that um, is consistent with God's design. So so anyway, I just wanted to kind of open up that, that, par- that story for us and uh, we can talk about maybe how that relates to our experience as women and our experience specifically of infertility and, and especially just knowing that, you know, Christ is close to us in this. Like he, <laughs> he heals that woman and, and it may, maybe for us, it doesn't come, it, that healing won't come in such a physical way like it did for her. But, um, but just that, but that's acknowledged in the gospels. I think that's a, a really big deal <laughs> um, for us as women. What, what do you both think about that story? Oh my gosh. Well, for me, kind of playing, <clears throat> we can make the connection between solitude and isolation. There's a difference there, right? This woman was isolated for 12 years, right? So because by Jewish law, if you if you have any sort of emissions, whether you're male or female, right, emissions make you unclean. And so this woman was unclean, which meant that she couldn't participate in religious life. She could not touch another person for 12 years. So this, this biological issue that she was dealing with that she tried so, so hard to remedy was also profoundly spiritual and profoundly isolating for her. So to so the audacity, can you think about it? The audacity of a woman who has not who is not by law allowed to touch somebody for 12 years. What does she do? She touches. She takes it upon herself to reach out and grab the Messiah. Right? And and so for her, what a profound act of faith. But also like so defiant <laughs> and so desperate and so ready to end that isolation. That's what I think about. Maybe Kimberly, you can jump in with your thoughts too. No, I, I, I mean, I, I feel like so many of us, I mean, I've seen this like in a, in a moment of like adoration at a women's conference, for instance, and, and the priest is processing around with the blessed sacrament. And I see women just reaching out and like trying to touch Jesus, reaching out their hands, um, in desperation, right? Because all of us need healing so profoundly. And it's just so beautiful because I think that here, this woman, it's like she she has no more hope, right? Like she's completely hopeless. Like she has done all the things. She has gone to the doctors. She has, I'm sure, prayed profusely, you know, prayed constantly for healing. Nothing has happened. And um, 
And here she is before the presence of Christ. And she, she realizes like, this is my only hope. And I just see such a connection with us, you know, with those of us just struggling with infertility. And, you know, I did all the things, you know, going and, and charting and surgeries and, and hormones and, and all of that. And there was, there was nothing left for me to do. I just felt like medically there was nothing left for me to do. And at that point, I mean, it was, it was only Christ who could heal me. And whereas, I mean, he did not heal me physically. He definitely healed me emotionally. And um, I just, you know, I, I, I think that is such a great image for us to, to ponder um, and, and have hope, right? <laughs> have hope even when the doctors fail that they're, that healing is possible. Yeah. And, and even, you know, other situations. So we talked about the woman who's, you know, who is going to appointments and, and charting and, and going perhaps through surgeries or medications. And, and there are a lot of us um, in that, in that position um, who are listening. But there may also be women listening who um, no longer have a cycle, um, either because of menopause, you know, surgically induced menopause or, or otherwise, um, or women who, you know, have um, unexplained infertility where they have a normal cycle and yet conception's just not happening and they don't know why um, or perhaps the issues on their husband's side. And so, you know, there's just nothing that can be done physically for them. And yet, um, and yet, you know, Christ is close to those struggles too. Um, and, and our bodies are still a good and beautiful. Um, like, I guess what I'm getting at is this point that, um, the goodness of our bodies is not based on our like fertility status, which I think is kind of what we've been talking about this whole time. Like, that even, you know, in our brokenness, in our, um, you know, whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever infertility looks like for us right now, um, that, um, that God made us in his image and that, um, that he loves us and that our bodies are good wherever they are, like, whatever that looks like, and that he's in control of them ultimately. So I wanted to know, um, what your thoughts were on that, on those kind of situations, Christina, where, um, like, what do you, what words do you speak to women who maybe, um, you know, are past that point of childbearing or, or other situations where their cycles aren't, aren't happening? Well, one thing that I think our church has in its treasure trove, but doesn't really talk about all that much is the concept of fruitfulness outside of biological fruitfulness. You know, when I talk to couples about uh, what the church means by openness to life, this is, I think, my favorite, my favorite road in. You know, openness to life <clears throat> originally, okay, I can get technical here, but was an original translation, Humanae Vitae, where acts needed to be open to life. But that translation has actually changed a little bit. So it's interesting to go back to the Vatican documents and see what, what that phrase is now. Um, openness to life is picked up by JP2, especially in Familiaris Consortio, where he talks about couples being open to life in the standpoint of fundamentally facing against a culture of death. Right. Openness to life is the fundamental stance of a Christian against a culture which is not open to the life, is not open to the gospel. And so what that means when he talks about fruitfulness of a, of a married couple, for example, yeah, it could be biological fruitfulness. Right. Um, but it's also fruitfulness in terms of community, in building up your parish, particularly in providing a home 
and a family for those who are without family. So elderly people who have been abandoned by their children, like married couples in the parish should be inviting them into their homes for regular dinners. Like we should be adopting those people. Um, People who are in consecrated single life who are, you know, who are not married, they still need community and family. And so this concept of fruitfulness and the virtues that you cultivate and the relationships that you cultivate and the way that you serve other people, that is all beautifully open to life. And I think one of the things that I recommend if couples are wanting to conceive and they're having trouble with infertility um, is just to to sit down and to actually count the ways you are fruitful in your marriage, Um, to, to look at the way that you are bringing life and being open to life in so many other dimensions, because that'll help you hold on to the goodness that's there, right? Biological fruitfulness is important, but it's not everything. Um, And I think focusing on the goodness that's already there can help couples a lot. Absolutely. I think that's something we really focus on at Springs in the Desert is trying to show couples that they are fruitful, that there are areas that um, that they may not have thought about. I know that my husband and I, early on in our struggles, um, we were youth group leaders, and then we decided to start a ministry at a college and take these kids on retreat. And, you know, we would take our kids... Um, you know, cross-country skiing and do activities and things like that. Um, And then we ended up um, fostering and adopting. And so, you know, just finding like that there were lots of different ways that we could be fruitful in our marriage. And I think even in the catechism, right, when you look at it's the breakdown of the sacraments, right, Um, state of life sacraments of vocation are called sacraments at the service of communion, right? So marriage is not the sacrament at the service of biological life, right? It's the sacrament at the service of communion, which can mean a biological family, but it definitely always means spiritual communion with other believers, spiritual communion with each other, forging communion in areas where where bonds have been broken. That's what marriage is for. Being an image of Christ in the church joined in matrimony and presenting that to the world. Okay. I love that so much. I just have to say, I wrote that down. <laughs> Sacrament at the service of communion. That is absolutely beautiful. Um, I don't know when you're saying that, I'm just like so many thoughts in my mind. Like we've been really trying to create more of an intentional community at our church, at our parish, you know, especially with COVID and everybody feeling so fragmented. Um, we've been trying to, you know, be more intentional about, Um, getting groups of people together and forming more, you know, stronger relationships with them and being, you know, I I just feel like um, we desperately need that. And this is like, this is the time. I feel like this is such a great time. Um, People are open to it. And this is a beautiful way of, you know, kind of going outside of ourselves and, you know, I, I think, you know, just even inviting people over for dinner, you know, so often I'm like, oh, my goodness, I mean, my house is a mess and I'm so busy and this and that. And when can we find a good time and all of that? But then I just go and do it. And um, and it's always so good. Right. It's so good. And I think, you know, if we could view our marriages 
with that end in mind, you know, that, that we're meant to be bringing others in and, and like being providing our home is like opening up that virtue of hospitality, like bringing, inviting others into that. Um, that's a great way to look at, to look at fruitfulness. Yeah. And I'm, as I'm listening to both of you, I'm thinking about my husband and I, we have like a bunch of goddaughters for some reason with a goddaughters outweigh. <laughs> We're very blessed. And I'm thinking about what you're doing and like, you know, the work that you're doing, Chris, Christina, with um, cycle prep. It's like perhaps, you know, um, from this cross of infertility, like we can be um, an influence for for that kind of education that some of the people in this ministry like hadn't received. Um and so just to be that, I guess you could call it like a spiritual mother, a spiritual father in a young girl's life can be huge um, so that, you know, she can receive this gift of knowing her body um, made in the image of God that perhaps some of us wish we would have received more, more strongly. So, Oh, amen to that. And, and that's why, I mean, I'll, I'll just sing your praises to the end of the day. I mean, I love the ministry that you all do, which is really focusing not on results for couples, right? Not, not on, not on results in terms of like getting pregnant at the end of the day. Like God doesn't, God doesn't have that in the cards for everybody. Um, but opening up conversations and just walking with people to help them see where God is already moving in their life and, um, and how one cross, right. Can actually bring us on the other side, um, to, to a fruitfulness that we didn't necessarily anticipate in our lives. Um, you know, I'm thinking even just about myself with like having absolutely horrible periods in high school, right? Getting put on birth control, it didn't work. And then, you know, having some health consequences after that, like, I hate the fact that I went through it. I absolutely hate it. Like, would I do it again? Hell no. Sorry. <laughs> but like, um, but I don't know that I would be as passionate as I am about educating girls and being the person that says like, no, you, you do not have to suck it up and endure the curse every month. Like that is not a woman's place. And I can tell you from the other side, like there are things we can do and, and challenging people. Sorry, you're going to hear mess in the background here. Um, but just saying that like through these struggles and the, these crosses, if we are open to what God is inviting us to we can bear fruit. And I, I just appreciate so much that you ladies are doing that for, for so many women and couples. Well, amen to that. Thank you so much for saying that. And thank you for what you're doing as well. I know that um, our listeners are definitely going to want to connect with you. So can you, um, can you share with us like how we can reach you, how we can follow your ministry? Absolutely. So my business name is Pearl and Thistle, and there's an interesting story behind that, but Pearl and Thistle, all spelled out. Um, you can find me at www.pearlandthistle.com or on Instagram and Facebook at the same handle. Um, and it's very easy to contact me through any of those platforms. Awesome. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. I know we're going to have more, um, <laughs> lots more theology thoughts. I know from especially you both, um, but thank you for the richness of everything that you both shared. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Um, we will see you next time on the Springs in the Desert podcast. Until then, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for this Springs in the Desert podcast episode. If you have a minute, please rate and review us so that we can reach more listeners. 
Check out our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. And go to our website, springsinthedesert.org, where you can sign up for our newsletter and hear about more things that we have going on. Most importantly, remember that God loves you so much, and so do we.